2: Welcome, welcome to the Friday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call 210. 340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions by emailing questions at CalvarySA.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as always I remind you if you're driving in your car the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen everything else is hands free and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer well we've got a busy weekend here I know you do too Uh, church of course on Sunday I'm going to be teaching in Mark chapter 15 um Wherever you go to church, remember, you're going there to serve, you're going there to to be someone that God can use to minister uh, His love and His comfort to others. I keep trying to convince people, if you go to serve others... If you go to say, okay, Lord, what about me and what about today? It will change your church experience, no longer just a spectator, but you'll actively be ministering to the body of Christ. And we know that Jesus takes that very, very personal. So uh, that's the best way to do it. Uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be closing a book, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So we have uh, another book that we're finishing uh, tonight. Uh, Next week we're going to have an afterglow And then we'll get back into uh, another Book of the Bible Shortly after that So um, that's at 7 o'clock We usually have room here on Friday nights, So if you want to join us, great If not, you can watch it at CalvarySA.com Let me get to some questions that have been sent in And then we will uh, Wait for any phone calls first one is from Kay It's a follow-up Um... She says, I appreciated your insight to help me deal with my Calvinist-seeking family member. I did not understand at the end of your answer when you said the doctrines of election and predestination are nowhere in the Bible used in conjunction with condemnation. Would you please help me understand this point? Yeah, one one of the problems with Calvinism, uh, Kay, is that... Um, you know, the they thing they call double election. God elects those who are going to be saved. He can elect whoever he wants, uh, regardless of their free will. They have no choice in a matter. But then necessarily that means he is electing or choosing those who are going to spend forever in hell. And they would say that uh, an, an unbeliever can't make a free will choice. And, and um, the, the problem with that is, biblically speaking, whenever you see election or predestination, in the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New, it only deals with those who are saved. It only concerns salvation. There is never any inclination whatsoever that people who um, reject Jesus Christ are elected for that. And yet, that's what um, the the Calvinists would say. You know, um, I I remember your question, Kay, and uh, I, I... identify with your pain the biggest problem with calvinism it doesn't mean that your 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 kids aren't going to be saved your adult kids aren't going to be saved what it means however is that there's very likely going to be no fruit come from their lives it's that simple and calvinism is a fruit killer and um i've just seen it too many times calvinists become evangelists for calvinism uh, rather than than evangelists for jesus um, they, they, they give up practically sharing the gospel, of Jesus Christ, uh, because what's the point if God has already determined who's going to be in heaven and who's not. So, uh, it's just a fruit killer. And, um, um, that, that's really all I have to add to our conversation. Kay, thanks very much. And I know you're praying for your kids. Here's a question from Daryl. He says, um, Pastor, God's silence has caused me to doubt him. Why won't God answer my questions? Um, Daryl, God answers everything. Um, He answers everything. Sometimes his answer is no. And sometimes what he wants you to do is find the answers. Jesus said if you seek him uh, earnestly then you, then he'll be found by you. And the same thing is true with the questions that you have. But I would ask a couple of things. Are you asking for things that are in the will of God? Are you just saying, God, why don't you do this? Or I want you to do this. Are you asking for things that would bring him honor and glory? Or are you asking for things that instead would make your life easier or better or richer? And then I would ask this. Sometimes we have to be able to say, Lord, here's my question, and then be willing to hear the, the, the word no. There are times, simply put, where what we want God to do is not in his will for our lives. And he loves you too much, Daryl, to do anything about that. So don't worry about silence. Let me give you one other dynamic that I think is important here, Daryl. Um, I tell people all the time, especially when they first get saved, that, that God will be a chatterbox. Uh, I, I always tell people, ask for big things. Uh, God wants to prove to you that he loves you. He wants to prove to you that he's got your best interests at heart. And over and over and over, and this happened in my life as well, at the very beginning, God spoke so clearly to my heart, and God did things for me that that were just spectacular things, answering prayers and things I was afraid of. remember as new believers, were afraid of a lot of things, The reality, however, is that's only sort of like baby. It's like when you used to feed your kids. And I don't know how old you are, Daryl, if you have kids. But I remember trying to feed our kids and they didn't want to eat, you know, and try to play airplane games with the spoon. And, okay, let me be real. Paula used to play airplane (laughs) airplane games with the kids and try to make them eat their food. Um, well, Well, that's what God is doing, answering prayers and and and, and moving obstacles out of your way. He's trying to get you to understand that he loves you, that he's got your best interest at heart, and that you can trust him. As we mature, he wants us to trust him without the obvious. He wants us to trust him even if we don't hear anything. In the middle of silence, I realize sometimes it's hard, but but that's when we we have to grab our Bibles, Daryl, and understand that's Jesus speaking to us. So while he'll speak to your heart, while he'll challenge you about things uh, and and do things for you that that border on the miraculous when you're an immature Christian, as you grow in the Lord, um, your faith has to grow. And there are times where God purposely pulls back. I don't mean that he's not as close as he ever was, but he pulls back in terms of the relationship because he wants you to learn by waiting on him, by by persevering through things with him, he wants you to learn that he can be trusted. And then I want to emphasize again, this is a, a repeat. There's a lot of times when God says no or not now. That's not silence. We sometimes just think it's silence, Daryl, because we don't want to hear no or not now. I would rather hear no than not now. I'm, a, I'm a, uh, i am not a super patient person and sometimes God's greatest tests for me are in the not now but just wait those are the hard ones for me so don't doubt understand this is him allowing you to grow up in your faith remember his track record remember what he's done remember that he loves you will the God that saved you I love Paul's uh, phrases how much more How much more will he care for you, even in those times when you don't hear his voice, even those times when you think you're in a trial that you can't possibly survive? But here's the thing, Daryl, every one of those you've already survived, and you'll survive the next one. Thank you for the question, Daryl. Those are important questions. It's something that we, all of us, go through. Here's a question from Jack. He says, what is your view of Christian nationalism? Um, Jack, I'm going to be really fair-handed here because uh, I'm one of those pastors that believes that politics has no place in the church, in the pulpit. Um, Ours is a sacred responsibility to teach the word, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. My job is to teach the Bible, and then let people use what they are learning about our Lord to make informed decisions at the polls. So um, I think those who can rightly, and this is important, the word rightly be identified as Christian nationalists are way off base. They're looking for a kingdom here in this world. They don't know their Bibles and their hopes are in the wrong things, the wrong People only Jesus can deliver us from this world, and and our Bible says very clearly that the world is not going to get better. In these last days, the world is going to get worse. I mean, just look at the news in this last two week period of time, and we keep thinking when it can't get any worse, it suddenly does. There was a mass murder of children in Thailand, I believe it was uh, yesterday or the day before, and, and you just think. And when I saw the story, all I could think about was, Oh Lord, how much more? And yet, voting for a particular candidate or winning a particular election is not going to accomplish what we hope it will accomplish. So those who are truly Christian nationalists um, have missed out on what God really wants to do in them, through them, and for them. Uh, Our hope cannot be in America. Our hope cannot be in in um, um, our constitution or in a particular party. Our hope has to be in Christ, and that precludes any possibility of us being able to identify as Christian nationalists. Now, I said I wanted to be fair-handed here. Um, There are a lot of people who are on the left politically and religiously um, who um, think anybody who supports a particular candidate is a Christian nationalist, and and, and, and it's a bad rap. It's simply not true. So, Jack, uh, I I don't know what you're looking for beyond that. Um, As as citizens, it is our right and and even responsibility to vote. Uh, If there's a candidate that you can vote for, an office that you can vote for, then it's our responsibility to do it, having been informed by Christian principles. At the same time... um, Our mission doesn't come from the White House or any other house. Our mission comes from heaven. And our job is to be busy proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving people in these last days. God is done with nations. Until he comes back uh, after the rapture of the church and then deals in the last seven-year period of history, uh, he deals with Israel Um, Keeping, maintaining all the promises he made to Abraham. Uh, Until that moment, he's done dealing with nations and now in this dispensation of grace he's dealing with individuals and our job is to go round up those individuals in these last days. So, we just have to be fair. Because you might be a conservative doesn't mean you're a Christian nationalist. And I think that's what critics... Would suggest There's a lot of, of uh, articles online now about this very thing, Jack, and uh, right now we're seeing a resurgence in political activity uh, similar to the last presidential election uh, throughout churches all over. Um, um, we see a big push being made to court the evangelical vote, um, trying to put Republicans over the top. Uh, this is simply misguided doctrinal theology our focus has to be on Jesus and him alone do we have preferences sure we do but we need to remember that if all of our candidates those of us who are conservative if all of our candidates won the world is still going to get worse so Jack I hope that helps a little bit 340-9585 Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Leslie. Uh, she says, as a believer, should I attend office parties and gatherings where people are going to a bar? Um, Leslie, it sounds to me, when I get a question like this, it sounds to me like the Holy Spirit's already kind of dealing with your heart on the issue. Uh, I certainly would not want to go to an office party where there's going to be drinking and other things that happen at parties where people are drinking. And I certainly don't want to be in a bar. So uh, I I could not go, nor do I think, and again, this is an issue between you and the Lord. I can't find this in the Bible and tell you what to do. But I can tell you, Romans 14, 23 says, that anything not of faith is sin. And so if you can't go... Uh, with a clear conscience, and that 's the Holy Spirit saying to you, uh, "This is no place for a Christian to be, so Leslie, you get to make the choice, but remember, we want to make a choice that honors the Lord, so I just don 't think we should do that you know it 's a little early for office parties, uh, but uh, as we approach the Christmas season, I always get these questions about office parties, christmas parties and and I just can 't imagine celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ um, with a bunch of people drinking, a bunch of people who are unbelievers. I just couldn't imagine doing it, so Leslie, your choice remember romans fourteen twenty three and listen to the small voice of the Holy Spirit as he tells you yes or no. here is an anonymous question. he says, "I cannot or this could be a she too." I cannot quit smoking. It seems that smoking and coffee are my main addictions, and I know God's not pleased. Well, then you've got to do something about it. The the truth is you can quit smoking. You simply won't. Now, I understand the physical addiction of nicotine. I really do. Um, And caffeine to a lesser degree. However, that gets through your body in about 72 hours. And once it's out of your body... Then the rest is psychological, it's emotional. Um, Do you believe what the Bible says? Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. So if God is knocking on the door of to quit smoking or to give up coffee, uh, because these things are addictions, your word, I I don't like that word, but um, then, then what you've got to do is say, God, I want to please you. Paul writes that we're to find out what pleases the Lord. And you said you know God's not pleased. So what you've got to do is figure out what's going to is figure out what's going to please the Lord, and then pursue that with all of your heart, with all of your soul. Let me give you a, a little bit of a tip on this. Uh, I've had a lot of people who uh, who who could quit horrible addictions, um, but couldn't give up cigarettes, or that was their real struggle. I had a man one time in tears tell me, look, I gave up heroin. It was like God just took it away, but I can't give up smoking, and I know he wants to. And I told him, God left the smoking in your life rather than taking it away, because one, it's not going to kill you, at least not quickly. And two, he wants you to learn that you can overcome these things by the power of the Spirit. And too often in honest, we focus on that thing we want to stop doing, uh, I cannot quit smoking, so all we think about is smoking. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then we find ourselves with a cigarette in our hand. Um, instead, set your heart, your mind. The, the, the heart's a place of affection. The mind is the place of decision on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And every time, every time you get the craving to light up a cigarette or drink a cup of coffee. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I don't want to be mastered by anything except you, so Lord, help me, and he'll be there. He won't take the craving away. He won't take the temptation away. But he'll be with you, and you can fight it. No temptation is seized except that which is common to man. And then the next phrase in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is this, and God is faithful do doesn't say you're faithful or I'm faithful. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can stand up under the temptation. In other words, you can overcome it. Now, Anonymous, what you've got to do is you've got to decide, do you believe that? Do you think that's a promise to everybody but you? Do you think God loves you to a lesser degree than he loves all of the other people when he said, no temptation is seized except that which is common to man? So you got to decide whether or not you believe it, and I promise you, you can quit it. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Let Jesus rule and reign, and I promise you, uh, you'll have you'll have victory over this. Let me also say this: uh, th- this is about the coffee part of it. Um, I joke with my church; they know me and love me, so uh, I'll I'll joke with you. Take a risk here, but. Um, you know, when when we hear Christians say things like, well, I can't even talk to you till I get my cup of coffee. That's a problem. That's a problem. We can break those habits. These things are permitted, but not all things Paul says are beneficial. Here's a question from Jason. How does one begin using the gift of tongues? Does it just happen? Um, Jason, no, it doesn't just happen. Uh, here's the thing: all all gifts given by God. In fact, everything God has for us has to be received by faith. Um, when we read the Bible, um, how much more will God give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who love Him? Um, we've got to realize that 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 God has already given the gift if He wants us to have it, and He's as He's He's uh, made that promise to us. And tongues are a good gift. It's the least of all of the the individual gifts, but nonetheless, it's from God. It's a wonderful gift. Um, but you don't just suddenly find yourself overcome and you, and you find yourself speaking tongues. Now, occasionally that happens upon salvation for people or on the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, but the the other 99% of the time, Jason, um, if you want the gift, you want it for God's glory, um... You ask him for it. You receive it by faith. And then you start using it. It won't make any sense. Um, The devil will be right there challenging you every step of the way. Oh, that's not God. That's just you faking it kind of thing. But don't worry about all of that. Just trust that God is going to do it. And like any gift, you have to exercise it or use it in order for it to be a benefit. So so schedule some time during your prayer time with the Lord to speak in tongues. And it's just sound that comes out. Um, just let it evolve naturally. But you've got to take the step of faith. Uh, most problems I have with people who want to give the gift of tongues and say, but I, I just never get it. Um, it's 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 because they're lacking the faith to understand that they already have it. If they want it, if God gives it, if it's something that he promised. Paul said, I would that you all spoke in tongues more than I do. It's a good gift. So use it. And and it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to feel silly. It's okay. It is a brand new gift. I remember my dad trying to teach me to ride a bike without training wheels on it. And, um, you, you know, it's scary. And you're wobbly. Well, the same thing is true with the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of tongues, because it doesn't make any sense. It is a gift given by God to you to increase or to elevate your prayer time. It's to strengthen you, to to edify your relationship with the Lord. Uh, It's a gift that God will use so that you can intercede for others that you'll never know about. You'll never know who they are or what you're praying for. But you can have the confidence that you're praying right in the middle of God's will and your prayers are being answered. There are times when you won't know what to pray for, and the gift of tongues is wonderful for that. There's times when I'm so overwhelmed with God's goodness that all I can say is, Oh God, you're good, or thank you, Lord. And my gift of tongues is a wonderful way to worship him. So, uh, Jason, just use it. Just use it, but don't expect that it's going to overwhelm you. Once you start using it, sometimes that happens. But just enjoy the gift of time, of tongues. Thank you, Jason. One more question of this half of the program. Uh, Bruce says, what should a believer's relationship to the Ten Commandments be? Um, We should be grateful. The Ten Commandments point out our sin, our need for Jesus. Uh, The Ten Commandments highlight or outline what a righteous or virtuous life looks like. So we can look at those commandments, the the horizontal ones, the the second tablet of the commandments, dealing man's relationship with other people. And then the the first ones are are the the vertical, uh, dealing with our relationship with God. So they're all wonderful. The only one, of course, is the the commandment of Sabbath worship. Jesus has fulfilled that, so we don't have to keep that. But I like to say it this way, um, Bruce. Instead of the Ten Commandments being a got-to, I have to do this, they become a get-to. It's a privilege and an honor to, to serve the Lord, to walk into righteousness. And uh, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. The only one that isn't, as I said, was the, the commandment for Sabbath worship. So um, appreciate them, love them, and, and walk in them uh, by the power of God's Spirit. And um, your life will be enriched, and you will be an enrichment to the life of those who are around you. So, Bruce, thank you for that. I've I appreciate it very, very much. Hey, remember, tonight here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio, we're going to be teaching, uh, closing the book, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 tonight. And um, we will um, uh, be doing that at 7 o'clock. And from that, um, uh, we'll be going into into other books. Okay. (laughs) 340, the phones have been quiet. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Friday edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Here goes the last half hour of our week. Time is just flying. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Michael. He said, "Will you discuss the gifts of the Spirit and why the same gift looks different in different people. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 um, describe the gifts of the Spirit. A manifestation, verse 7 in chapter 12 says, uh, to each one a manifestation of the Spirit is given, but there's different kinds of gifts and different kinds of administration. So, for example, Michael, the gift of encouragement, and I'll just use me and Paula as an example. The gift of encouragement is looks way different when I exercise it than when Paula does. Paula can walk into a room and light it up. I don't have that that ability. So when I'm encouraging somebody, I'm I'm doing it more serious. I'm doing it in the Word. Um, but but all gifts of Spirit. God doesn't do the same thing in the same uh, the same way in in different people. So it's just, he uses who we are, our personalities, our calling. Um, uh, that, that's just uh, the way they are. Right? You know, it, it's too easy for us to think, well, the gift of tongues always is the same way. Or it's not. So it's just the gifts of the Spirit given by God are given individually, and they're sort of tailored to us and our personalities, our level of maturity. As our faith grows, then the gift also grows in us, and um, um, intentionally, because it would be boring if everybody did everything the same, um, um, intentionally God God makes it look different. There's a variety of manifestations. Of those gifts, and I don't know how else to answer it, uh, answer your question than that, Michael. But but uh, I can recommend that you go to First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve. You can go to our website CalvarySA.com and listen to my teachings. There are a lot of teachings on First Corinthians chapter twelve, and and uh, and it discusses the, these issues and puts a little bit more meat on it. Thank you for the question, Michael. Zach says. I'm interested in a girl who's not a Christian and I'm really hoping she will get saved. Any tips for me? Yeah, here's the tip, Zach. Stop. Just stop. God doesn't want you with a girl who's not a Christian. If if this is a girl that uh, is for you. If God's going to bring her back in your life, let God de- have her first. Let him deal with her. But uh, this is, uh, I, I, I was able to talk about this in the in the Bible study I did just this past Wednesday. And anybody reading the Bible is going to see what God's heart is on unequally yoked relationships. You simply can't be involved with somebody who's not a Christian. You know, I, I, I understand attraction, infatuation, um, crushes. I understand all of that, Zach. But this is a really good test for you, and you don't tell me how old you are, but this is a really good test for you. Who's more important to you, a girl that you have a crush on, or Jesus? And do you trust Jesus enough to know that He has somebody for you, if in fact you're going to be faithful to Him? But Zach, I'm just going to warn you, if you get involved in a, in a relationship with an unbeliever, um, she's going to drag you into sin, And when that happens, life is going to be miserable. There simply won't be any peace or any joy in a relationship that is in defiance of what God's will is for your life. So just don't do it. Um, Save yourself pain. I know people almost never listen to me when I say this, but the Bible over and over and over talks about the pain of unequal Uh, relationships, unequally yoked relationships. So, Zach, please don't. That's the best tip I have. Here's one question from Chris. He says, Are we sinners or saints who sin sometimes? Also, can you help me with the doctrine of sinless perfection? Yeah, Chris, you're confused. I can deal by the question. We're, we're sinners. Um, yeah, You know, the fact that our sin is forgiven doesn't keep us from sinning. The Apostle John in 1 John says that if you say you're without sin, then you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. And, uh, and, and the, 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 the sinless perfection people will say, no, no, we're sanctified saints um, who occasionally sin. We're sinners. As long as you are actively sinning, you are a sinner by definition. No, your sins are forgiven, um, and and clearly we ought to stop sinning at some point. But the idea are we sinners or saints who occasionally sin? Uh, the answer is that we are sinners. the The doctrine of sinless perfection is is uh, a false doctrine. It's um, it's um, contrary to what the Bible teaches. Uh, nobody can be sinless. We won't be until we're with Jesus when these sin natures are dealt with. But in this world, we can't be perfect. And uh, although there are some people with huge egos that attract other people with huge egos uh, who who think, oh, sinless perfection, I'm, I'm becoming more and more like Christ. Well, we are becoming more and more like Jesus every day. That's what sanctification is. But believe me, perfection is a very, very, very long way away. So we can't ever get to that place. Now, I know people will say sometimes, well, um, if I can't be perfect, what's the point in trying? Well, it's because our Bible says, Paul says it, Jesus says it, that we should aim for perfection. You know, I really want to be perfect, Chris. I'm not. I can't. But I want to be. And so I can't use the fact that I can't be perfect Rationalize that it's okay sometimes to sin. It also means that when I sin, First John 1 9 guarantees that he'll forgive me if I ask for it, if I repent, and he'll purify me from all unrighteousness. And if he does that, then I can walk with Jesus um, more closely and do better. But we cannot be without sin. We just do the best we can. When we mess up, we ask for forgiveness. He grants it, and then we start all over with Jesus from that perspective. Thanks for the question. I hope that makes sense to you. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy from San Antonio, thanks for calling. You're on the air. So Cindy's in, oh, Cindy's not on the line. Uh, oh, here it is. It's a called-in inquiry. Cindy wants to know how Zach is doing. Um, And then in parenthesis, he's he's the son of a good friend who's a pastor. Um, Cindy, um, I shared this with the church. I shared a little um, YouTube video or Facebook video, one of those two things. I don't remember. But uh, Zach is doing well. He still does not have the use of his hands. um, uh, But he is uh, back teaching at his church. Um, He's a remarkable, remarkable attitude. And is doing as well as can be expected for a guy that everybody thought was dead. Uh, He is a good friend, or or he is a son of a good friend, Sandy Adams from Stone Mountain, Georgia. who's a good friend of mine. And um, we've been praying for Zach Um, during COVID. He got COVID, and his was one of the weirdest cases, uh, and just everything shut down. And he was in a coma for, I think, 90 days or something like that. And um, it just didn't look like he could survive. And uh, the reality is that um, um, God's got him up, got him serving the Lord. Uh, he's back with his wife and his kids. Um, and the church is grateful to have their pastor back. So thank you, Cindy. I know you asked because you have been praying for Zach, and we've been asking. three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from... Let me get it. Right there. Sandy. uh, All she says with the question mark, Halloween for Christian kids. Um, It's October, isn't it? I'm going to get, starting to get these questions. Um, Yeah, I think we ought to allow kids, Sandy, to go trick-or-treating. If if it's safe, um, if their friends are doing it. Uh, Now, I think for Christian kids... I think it's an opportunity to witness. Uh, you know, I, I've just never sort of been on board with the the uh, Halloween is evil crowd. Um, I, I just don't think our kids should think that being Christian is no fun at all. all. The other kids get to have fun. We don't. But we can redeem the holiday like we do with Christmas and Easter. We can redeem the holiday. Dress your kids up in Bible characters. Uh, um, let your Let your girls be Queen Esther. Um, that your boys be David or Abraham or something. And and when people say, oh, what are you dressed up for? It's an opportunity for them to witness as well. And kids, you know, they're not shy. They're not intimidated. They'll tell everybody, yes, I'm King David with Goliath's sword. Um, and, and that's a way that you can take take what is a, a, a problematic time and you can then redeem it for the glory of God. So, um ultimately, Sandy, this is a parental decision. Um, I just get tired of parents looking at their kids saying, Christians don't do that. And then they see all their other friends having fun. Uh, I think we can can be proactive and I think we can do that. So um, that's the first one. What's the date? It's October the 7th. And uh, that's the first Halloween question. It won't be the last one I have between now and the end of the month. Andy says, Pastor, on what happened to Joseph, Jesus's stepfather. Um, um, Andy, there's no, um, we we don't have any information about what happened to him. No, it, it seems obvious that he died. You know, people didn't live as long then as they do now, but um, um, it's it's pretty clear that he died, and Mary was a widow, and. Um, and uh, Jesus would have been then expected to carry on the family business and provide for his family. Um, but it's clear, it seems clear that he, he, he died um, heroically. He lived a heroic life. We love the guy. But um, he went to heaven evidently or went to Abram's bosom evidently. Let's take our first phone call today. We've got Greg on line one from Bolverdi. Greg, thank you for calling. You're on the air.
0: Good to hear you. Hey, uh, I talked to you the other day about uh, that verse in Ezekiel 28, uh, around verses 14 and 15, that area, where it talks about uh, Lucifer and, you know, he was this anointed cherub and all that. Uh, and you, you had said that uh, that the angels were given, you know, a one-time deal to decide if they're going to stay with, with God or go with Satan. Is is there some place where it kind of specifically talks about that, or is it kind of implied by how the wording is, or can you expand on that?
2: Well, yeah, Greg, I can. Um, you know, there, there's there's no specific verse that says they were given a one-time choice, but we know that a third of, the, of the, the angels, the fallen angels, were swept out of heaven with Satan, so we know that there was an attempted coup in heaven. And at that point, that was their choice to make, um, but it is equally clear that um no longer do they have the right to change that choice and and what I said the other day it's a principle that's really important for us to understand too much is given, much is required, and those angels that stood in the presence of the Lord who fell there completely without excuse, and that would be the the justification for God not giving them a second chance. I mean, you and I, we can we can fall away from God, we can repent, we can come back to God, uh, we can make a different choice, but remember, those angels have seen God. You and I, we haven't seen him in the flesh, we haven't seen him up close, we haven't seen his glory, they have. And uh, so their lot is cast uh, from that first decision, and the good angels will now forever remain good angels, and the fallen angels Will forever remain fallen, and ultimately they will—they will end up being tormented in the lake of fire. So it's—it's uh, it's pretty clear as you read through the scriptures. Without a specific verse that says, "Oh, all angels and men are different." Men have many times to choose; uh, angels only had one. But, but I think that's pretty clear from it. Greg, thank you for that. That Ezekiel twenty-eight passage is interesting if you read it. Uh, Greg or anybody else, you want to read it? Um, uh, read it in the King James. Uh, it's it's staggering. Uh, Satan, um, Lucifer was God's um, most beautiful creation, and that's why I told Greg last time when he called that uh, I, I I personally think that the rebellion in 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 the heavens against God occurred when Adam and Eve were created by God. And God said, no, that's very good. That's the first time he said very good. Everything was good up to that point, but this is very good. I think that sparked a a, a jealousy in Lucifer. And um, um, he did his best to spread the rebellion around heaven. Here is a question. This one is from Dennis. He says, what is the benefit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Dennis, um, you asked that question, like maybe you're not a believer. Um, We can't do anything without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without the power of God. It's sort of like your phone being on, you know, like zero percent. And you can talk all you want, but it's not going to allow you to hear anybody talking to you or not going to allow anybody to hear you talking to them. Um, and, but but there's this wonderful thing. You can, you can stick the, the end of the phone into a charger and instantly then you can be heard again. Well, everything that we do with the Lord and for the Lord comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's like we have no connection to God at all apart from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the trigger for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not talking about just the one-time event. This is something that we need every day, Dennis. The trigger is obedience. Acts 5.32 says God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey. So the benefit is simple. If we walk in the Spirit, um, then we will reap from the Spirit. Uh, If we don't walk in the power of the Spirit... Then we're going to reap the consequences of, of caving into our flesh. Dennis, the truth is that we can't even want to do good. Philippians 2 says it is God who both works to do or actually to will and to do in us. Uh, I, I can't, apart from the Holy Spirit, I don't even want to do good things. but But when I'm with Jesus and that's what being connected to the Spirit really is, it's that source of power that is available to all of us. When I'm connected to Jesus, Dennis, um, there's nothing that I can't do, and, and and we need to we need to remember that I can be a, a a a good husband to Paul. I can be a a good pastor. I can be um, a good friend, um, but but I can't do anything good apart from being connected to him. And this is one of the things, Dennis, that I just don't believe most Christians are taught now. If I'm right in suspecting that you are not yet a born-again believer, then I want you to understand that the power that raised Christ from the dead is waiting to come into you. And all you have to do is ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. you got. You got to admit you're a sinner. That ought to be the, the single easiest thing that any of us have to do. And then say, Jesus Forgive me, please. The answer's already been declared, yes and amen. And then we say, Jesus, but I can't stop sinning. I don't even want to stop sinning if you don't help me, so I surrender control of my life to you. And instantly, Dennis, that's when the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. He seals you with a deposit, sort of a down payment guaranteeing your inheritance in heaven. But it's also at that point where that power is available to you. And all you have to do is stay plugged in. Just stay plugged in. I used to have a razor uh, and a very, very light beard. And, and um, you know, I, I don't like looking scroungy, so I'd use it. But I had a razor that kept sort of shorting out on me. And people could tell, when, "Oh, I have a razor with a problem." Uh, I had so many people that, that offered help fix it for me. But the truth is, uh, it was such a great illustration because you know I can I can run that razor over my face, but it doesn't shave anything. If it's shorting out, um, if it's working properly, everything is different. Well, you can't even work properly in your life. Jesus said, "Apart from me, you can do nothing." unless we remain connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. One final thought, Dennis. When he comes in you, you'll know that you're his. there will be the the witness of the spirit of assurance of salvation. But you'll also know that you're never alone. And when temptation comes, and it will, when the enemy tries to, to, to stop you from following Jesus, you have a power in you. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And all we have to do is just stay connected to Jesus. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. One final thought. Too often people that have had a one-time experience, a very emotional or powerful, um, passionate experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, too often I've seen, you know, that's just sort of, okay, I'm filled with the Spirit. That's all I need. This is a... Uh, an experience that we need repeated every day, and and often many times during the day. Dennis, if you go through the Book of Acts, you'll find in Acts chapter two the entrance of the Holy Spirit. There was this wonderfully spectacular and emotional experience, this powerful moment where the Spirit made his entrance in the world. Um, but then you see those same people, notably Jesus' disciples. Throughout the book of Acts being filled and refilled again and again and again and again and in the same way, you and I we need to be filled with the Spirit every day. Paul and I, we like to say this to each other, uh, we go to bed, used all my grace today, and we go to bed waking up the next morning, knowing that a whole new batch of grace is available by the by the Holy Spirit. So those are the benefits. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. But Paul would write, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the biggest difference at all. Dennis, if you're not a yet a born-again believer, um, confess your sins, ask Jesus to forgive you, and then let him experience for you what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. Here is an anonymous question. It says, uh, Pastor Ron, how can an unmarried man deal with sexual thoughts? Or temptation, um, let me piggyback on Dennis's question by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can deal with it. It's the only way we even want to deal with it. so here's the thing: we've got to say no to our flesh. It's that simple um, when when you know you're being tempted to do something that you know you ought not to do, you've got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say no. And then you're able to say yes to God. I would also suggest, and people don't like when I say this, but every single person, male or female, um, ought to be asking God for the gift of celibacy. Now, we think, I don't want the gift of celibacy. Well, Paul had it. He said, I wish you all had it, you know, as, as I do. I wish you all were as I am. And that means he was devoting all of his strength and all of his energy to Jesus. And, um, you know, God's typically not going to ask people to stay celibate. But believe me, you want, to, you want the gift of celibacy while you're not married so that sexual thoughts don't overwhelm you. You know, Anonymous, we live in a time where we are defined so much by our sexuality. This is one of the things when, when people say, well, it can't help the way I was born. Yeah, you can. If you want to honor God by his power, you really can. So the way you deal with it is to take every thought captive. Paul writes that to the church at Corinth and make those thoughts obedient. Lord, the temptation, the thought comes in, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose instead to serve you, to honor you. And so I'm going to say no. And, and anonymous at that moment, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Um, and there's no reason ever that we have to give in to those thoughts and temptations. Take every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ. And it's a decision you got to make every day. Today, I say of my own free will, I do this every day. Today, of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus, not by might, nor by power, but by your Spirit. And then I add, in your name and for your glory. And then I offer my hand, because I can't do that on my own. And, Anonymous, neither can you. But being unmarried, well, you know, we all have urges and we all have temptations. That is not an excuse to give in to your sin. Taking those thoughts captive means that you stay away from the Source of temptations, whether it's your phone, your computers, whatever else it is. Um, I know this sounds trite, but it's not. Just say no. Say no to you so that you can say yes to Jesus. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, go to church on Sunday or maybe tonight somewhere. And offer your bodies a living sacrifice that Lord. It'll change your life. God bless you. See you next week.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.